Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. None of this Xmas and taking Christ out of Christmas, but uh, if, if you're one of those people who's like, it's supposed to be happy holidays, not today, not today. Today, specifically, is Merry Christmas. Tomorrow, and the day before and all that, you can go back to happy holidays. It's fine. Uh, but today, specifically, I actually don't even care about this debate. I think it's pretty stupid. Um, <laughs> but it is uh, the the one Monday. Well, I mean, you know, unless I do this show for another six years. Uh, the one Monday where we will have an episode drop on Christmas morning. So uh, if you're listening to this on your way to or back from some relatives or whatever Christmas party you're doing, uh, thank you. Thank you for, for listening to me. I don't know why you're doing that. You could, you, why aren't you listening to Christmas music? Probably because you've been hearing it since August and you're sick of it. And I, I agree. That's ridiculous. Uh, what are we talking about today? Right. Uh, urban legends today. Uh, I mentioned it uh, towards the end of the show last week where, uh, you know, one of the old timey Christmas traditions back in Europe, they would tell like ghost stories or like scary stories, which is weird because we have a whole holiday dedicated to that. But I guess, I guess technically it was probably before Halloween was a thing. So on Christmas, they shared some relatively scary stories. And so, uh, today kind of doing our own little spin on that with three different urban legends, from around the country, uh, we are looking at the story of the Bunny Man, Charlie No Face, and the Melon Heads. Story time. Our first story is of Charlie No Face, uh, who's also known as the Green Man in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, one of the more infamous characters in local lore out there um the legend goes that charlie or his ghost roams the streets of pittsburgh at night uh blowing smoke from holes in his faceless face uh, like he has a face but he doesn't have a face or something like that anyway he's got holes in it we know this much and smoke comes out of his face holes anyway uh his skin also glows green uh and you can see the green glow from one of several abandoned railroad tunnels around the city at night the problem with all of this is that one it's not true obviously but two the real story of charlie no face didn't even happen in pittsburgh so Charlie's actual story, whose real name was Raymond Robinson, began in 1919 when he was nine years old. And while walking along the Murado Bridge over the Beaver River in the town of Beaver Falls, which is about 30 miles northwest of Pittsburgh, Robinson saw a bird's nest on a power line. And as with most curious and also dumb nine-year-olds, Robinson decided to climb this power pole and get a closer look at the nest. And even though Raymond didn't care, and he also probably didn't know, wouldn't have cared anyway, uh, this pole carried two lines. One was 1,200 volts. The other was 22,000 volt lines for the town trolleys that had also recently shocked another boy to death the previous year. Uh, unsurprisingly, 
Raymond got up there and was violently shocked by these cables, which then sent him falling several feet back down to the pavement. Uh, despite several doctors saying that uh, Robinson would never survive this. He actually did. Otherwise, this obviously wouldn't be a story. Um, however, the accident left him without his eyes, nose, and right arm, hence the Charlie No-Face name. Uh, his skin had also been permanently charred to a dark green color, which gives you the idea of where the green man name came from. So this kid got wrecked, right? I didn't even know that those sorts of things were possible. He got electrocuted so badly that like it blew out his eyes and nose apparently and also burned him so bad that his skin was permanently turned green. Like I didn't, I didn't even know that was possible. I did not know that that was possible. Anyway, uh, when Robinson got older, he moved to a smaller town north of Beaver Falls, as in farther away from Pittsburgh, where he made a living selling doormats, wallets, and belts, which is pretty impressive considering he's completely blind. Like, how do you make a belt? I understand how you can make a doormat, all right? Like, that's pretty simple. <laughs> if you're blind, you can fill out like a rectangle and a doormat. But like a wallet, or like a, a belt that's pretty intricate as that's, that's impressive. Um, he would never go out during the day because he knew he looked hideous. Um, but he also knew that he needed some exercise in order to stay healthy. So with that in mind, he would actually leave his house each night. And with the help of a walking stick would walk up and down the highway near his home. Uh, whenever he did meet a curious stranger, he would happily exchange a picture for beer and cigarettes. So, Maybe that's how the, the imagery of smoke coming out of his face holes uh, came about. Um, Robinson ultimately died at a living uh, assisted living center in 1985, though, at the age of 74. So, like, nothing ever, like, malevolent about him, nothing super paranormal about it. But just, like, for whatever reason, this urban legend came up in Pittsburgh uh, about this poor dude who... Uh, pretty much live the rest of his life as punishment for being a dumb kid. Uh, our next story here uh, happened sometime during the 1940s in the Cleveland suburb of Kirtland, where a man who, according, at least in history, who was only known as Dr. Crow and his wife lived in a secluded house off of Wisner Road. Uh, some accounts say that they were unable to have children on their own, while some say that the Crows had one child who was born with water on the brain known as hydrocephalus. Uh, regardless of whether they had a kid or not, all accounts agree that the Crows were the parents of several orphaned children. Now, whether it was in an attempt to cure his own child's hydrocephalus or he was trying to find a cure for the condition altogether, allegedly Dr. Crow performed several experiments on his orphans namely injecting more fluid into their brains in an attempt to drain the original water out. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know the logistics of why that would work. Um, however, these experiments failed and these children's heads ballooned in size. Like think of like Stewie Griffin or Hey Arnold, but like in the other direction, I guess, or like the cone heads. If you're, you know, like the Coneheads, probably. Um, although they rarely went outside, the people that in the neighborhood that saw these kids were horrified. And soon Dr. Crow's kids came to be known as the Melonheads. Uh, eventually, 
uh, according to this story. The children grew up and revolted against Dr. Crow in retaliation for basically turning them into deformed social outcasts. Um, those that survived the experiments, because several had ended up dying over the years, uh, the survivors ended up killing Dr. Crow and setting fire to the house and his laboratory. Uh, all of the notes and records of his experiments were lost, of course, because they had to be for this story to make sense. And the melon heads then escaped into the woods and having no real ability to communicate with the outside world. They then foraged for food and built makeshift shacks in the forest to survive uh, over the years. According to local legend, the melon heads reproduced uh, creating equally deformed offspring that came with very short tempers. Um, they developed glowing red eyes and sharp teeth and several reports uh, following the melon heads escape into the woods included stolen livestock pets and even other missing children. Um, of course though, as with other stories like this, no one has been able to produce any solid evidence of their existence. Um, there's, I, I think there are records of like a Dr. Crow living in this area, but again, it's probably one of those things where like a rumor started and then it kind of blew up into this, bigger kind of urban legend, obviously our final story here, uh, going to be obviously a shorter episode today, but it's fine. Go enjoy Christmas with your family instead of listening to me. Uh, on August, October 19th, 1970 air force Academy cadet, Bob Bennett was capping off uh, a stereotypical 1970s date night with his lady. You know, they were headed home around midnight from a football game and Bob decides he's going to start, uh, you know, going to try to get some, get some action. And he, uh, parks his car in a field, gets the windows a bit steamy. Um, and you know, look, here's the thing. This is obviously the start of a horror movie, right? But this is real life. This story more so than the other two definitely happened. Uh, the couple kind of began their unsanctioned fornicating, maybe as this song kind of played in the background. This is Bread. Uh, this is a very 70s band, by the way. Uh, you know, the song's playing on the radio. Uh, the windows quickly lose their transparency thanks to the steamy exhales of these two young lovers. And it's just getting hot and heavy, and it's groovy. And it's wild and it's out of sight and all these other 70s terms. And then, before any pants could come off, the silent sensuality permeating through the October air was quickly interrupted as the passenger side window shatters into pieces. I'm really getting into this one, by the way. You can tell. The horrified young couple looks out of the broken window to the nearby Colchester overpass, which carried vehicles along Colchester Road beneath the Southern Railway line here in uh, Washington, D.C. I didn't even say where this was located to begin with. It's Washington, D.C., because uh, you obviously know where the Colchester overpass is. I don't know why I included that detail. Anyway, they look out the broken glass window and they see a person, or at least they think it's a person dressed in a bunny costume. And if you know, like Easter bunny costumes from the 1970s, those aren't cute. All right. Those are not like friendly looking bunnies. They are demonic looking. And he's just like looking at them and he's standing menacingly. His head's probably like cocked to the side a little bit, you know, 
or at least, you know, as menacingly someone in a bunny suit can stand probably. And he's right next to the car window. Obviously, the couple screams in terror. Bob, he's, you know, he's uh, he's in the military. He's Air Force cadet. He's got to be brave here. He fires up the car and speeds away. And as the car speeds away, the bunny man screams, you're on private property and I have your tag number. Ooh, scary. Anyway, uh, as Bob and his lady friend sped down the highway, uh, they then found what had shattered the window. Uh, it wasn't a rock. Uh, wasn't a brick. It was a hatchet. The bunny man had thrown a hatchet, a whole hatchet through their car window. Uh, Bob surrendered the weapon to police when he reported the incident, but, uh, they ended up kind of returning it to him after they examined it because they didn't really know what else to do with it. This is the 1970s. They don't have any kind of like forensic abilities at this point. Uh, 10 days later after Bob's incident, uh, Paul Phillips, a security guard on watch for a construction company, saw a man wearing a black and white bunny costume standing on the porch of an unfinished home. And when the bunny man actually saw Phillips approaching him, he just pulls out an axe from wherever he had it. I don't know. And he starts hacking away at the, the posts that were holding up the porch on this house. And the bunny man, he looks at Paul and he's like, all you people trespass around here. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you in the head. And like Phillips, who thought he was, had to be on like the craziest acid trip of his life. He decides to get brave and he thinks he's going to be the most amazing security guard in history. He goes back to his car to get his gun because he's going to have it out with the bunny man. And unfortunately, though, upon returning to the house, he saw the bunny man literally hopping away into the woods. Because here's the thing, guys, like if you're going to be the murderous incarnation of one of nature's cutest creatures, like you really have to commit to this character. Like, honestly, I'm surprised he didn't like leave like a trail of carrots or something behind him. But he's literally hopping away into the woods and disappears uh, for the next few weeks. More than 50 people in the Washington, D.C. area called police with additional sightings of the bunny man, including one widely run story in local newspapers about the bunny man eating someone's cat, which I don't know if that happened or not. I mean, maybe uh, by the end of 1970, however, fascination with the bunny man had waned and stories of people having their own sightings stopped. Uh, no one actually knows whatever happened to the bunny man, uh, whether he died or maybe he just simply stopped caring about people trespassing on his and other people's properties. I don't know, but the, every, you know, every year, you know, around Halloween or so, like people still like, Oh, you better watch out for the bunny man, bunny man. Anyway. Yeah. You know, again, just weird, weird story. some urban legends in the books and also the end of our episodes in 2023 it has been another year i can't like this is the end of the fourth year doing this show it started in 2020 around the pan when the pandemic started because why not and yeah i can't believe i'm still doing this and to be honest with you i have episodes planned out for another three or four years. So like, unless something catastrophic happens and I just can't 
record this show anymore. Uh, we're going to stick around for a while. We're going to keep doing this for a very long time. And I appreciate all of you who are listening, who have been there since day one or who have hopped along along the way. No pun intended from the from the past story. But let's recap and see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, Charlie No-Face really didn't have a face. He got it blown off because he electrocuted himself, but also not even really an urban legend belonging to Pittsburgh. Like they just took a story from the next town over and just applied it to themselves and made this poor dude like scarier and more menacing than he really was. Like Charlie No-Face actually just a nice guy who made belts and wallets and stuff. Anyway, number two, the melon heads. Were they real? I mean, it seems like a very Ohio thing to just have like a bunch of deformed, uh, water-brained kids running around in the woods out there. Just meth. You know, that's, you know, but again, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, probably not. Anyway, the th- uh, number three, though, real story. The bunny man, uh, probably just an angry, like, male Karen dressing up in a scary bunny costume, assaulting people for trespassing and and doing silly things in and around the Washington, D.C. area. Next week on Our Weird World, we are starting 2024 with three stories of people who thought that they could fake their own deaths. Uh, did they succeed or did they fail miserably? It's probably going to be a mixture of both, actually. So uh, we're going to look at the stories of David Friedland, James Washington, and Raymond Stansel. So uh, happy to getting happy to start off uh, 2024 like with that. And then we're getting real close to episode number 200. Oh boy. It's going to be, it's going to be a hoot and a half. Uh, so, uh, looking forward to that. Also, um, after the show today is the final stupid little song lyric recitation that I've been doing. Uh, I found enough. I think my, I've gotten my point across in that a lot of songs out there are really stupid and yet they have been hits for people. Um, also, last last week's song, uh, just real, real gross and disturbing. So uh, going to end that bit <laughs> with today's episode, uh, but we'll, I'll figure out something else to do uh, at the end of some of these shows sometimes. And uh, yeah, we're all we're, we're just going to we're going to keep going. So thank you for listening. Keep telling all your friends and keep it weird. and Wanda were the best of friends all through their high school days, both members of the 4-H club, both active in the FFA. After graduation, Marianne went out looking for a bright new world. Wanda looked all around this town, and all she found was Earl. Well, it wasn't two weeks after she got married that Wanda started getting abused, She put on dark glasses and long-sleeved blouses and makeup to cover a bruise. 
Well, she finally got the nerve to file for divorce. She let the law take it from there. But Earl walked right through that restraining order and put her in intensive care. Right away, Marianne flew in from Atlanta on a red-eye midnight flight. She held Wanda's hand and they worked out a plan. And it didn't take them long to decide that Earl had to die. Goodbye, Earl. Those black-eyed peas, they tasted all right to me, Earl. You feeling weak? Why don't you lay down and sleep, Earl? Ain't it dark wrapped up in that tarp, Earl? The cops came by to bring Earl in. They searched the house high and low. Then they tipped their hats and said, Thank you, ladies. If you hear from him, let us know. Well, the weeks went by and spring turned to summer and summer faded into fall. And it turns out he was a missing person who nobody missed at all. So the girls bought some land at a roadside stand out on Highway 109. They sell Tennessee ham and strawberry jam and they don't lose any sleep at night because Earl had to die. 